Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. The chef special on this episode of All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett is content. That's right, content. Fans of the Food Network will recognize our guest this week for his work on shows like Chop and The Iron Chef. But there's more to Scott Conant than being on TV. He's a successful restaurateur, business owner, James Beard award-winning chef, and writer. His fourth cookbook, Peace, Love, and Pasta, Simple and Elegant Recipes from a Chef's Home Kitchen, is available now. Scott, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. It is good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it is a pleasure. You know, since this is a business podcast, let's talk about the business of food. Before you and I got on air here, we were talking about some of the changes that are going on in Phoenix, L.A., New York, and it's changed a lot during the pandemic. You own multiple restaurants. How have your businesses survived and thrived over the last couple of years? Well, it hasn't been easy. You know, the writing has been on the wall with restaurants for a very long time that the the model just isn't sustainable in yeah. today's world. I mean, costs are going up exponentially, uh, and it's we've had to adjust to it accordingly over the past seven years or so. Um, the last two years have been uh, next to impossible. Between staff not showing up for work, staff this max ex- mass exodus, which we've seen and we've, I'm sure you've spoken about dozens of times oh, totally. uh, ad, na- ad nauseum, just people suddenly getting sick and it's spreading throughout your team and you have to close your restaurant for the week of one of my restaurants, the week of Christmas, New Year's, in between Christmas and New Year's, we had to close for four days because we just oh. had no cooks. They, the entire staff was sick. So what do you do? You know, yeah. you, you, you punt. Yeah. <laughs> what else, so what else are you going to do? It's, 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 not, it's not a fun time to be in the restaurant world. You know, I had the owner of Meatballs in New York City on the show very early. And of course, he actually did pretty good because he has uh, he actually termed this, he said, foods that travel well. And I never really thought about that, but I've mm-hmm. seen a real change in the way a lot of restaurants are offering up food where more for takeout than more than for yeah. the dining in. But that would also change your business yeah. model around. You really don't need the seating like you used to. Well, that's exactly the point. You know, you're not going to, it's really hard to make a business just out of takeout. Um, you could supplement your business in a great way with takeout and delivery and things of that nature. But you got to be really careful with those delivery apps. A lot of them are taking over 30%. I know a lot of restaurants that are actually losing money by utilizing those delivery apps. And also you have to contemplate the the ability for these apps to actually deliver on their promise, right? So you're going into a partnership, which is sometimes 30% or more with a business that quite frankly, at best is inadequate. Right. Yeah. And and by the way, you don't really need it. I mean, they could call you up and, you know, and literally if let's say you're in New York or you're a little bit closer to where you're at, you can swing by and pick it up. Right. Yeah. Well, yes, you could swing by and pick it up. That that pickup is always a better option. I don't think anybody would argue with that for the for the business owner. Right. For the for the convenience of the person at home. There really is something about just getting a delivery. And I have little little kids. I Well, not so little. 12 and nine, and they love getting food delivered to the house, right? It, no matter what it is, they just yeah. love the process, but it's got to work for the business owners also. 
Well, the cool thing is there's always a surprise inside when they open it up, right? <laughs> yeah, especially when they don't deliver your order. They yeah. deliver somebody else's. <laughs> oh, yeah. And by the way, that happens every once in a while, or you don't get it all. There's another thing with that, too, because, again, you're delivering. You know, that weakest common denominator is always that that delivery service and that person who's just, you know, trying to make a buck. Let's don't give them a hard time, but That's not right. necessarily the standard that you would want to have as an employee for the most part in your business. Now, the restaurant industry is getting hard hit during the labor crunch. Is that the biggest hurdle that you see in your restaurants right now? It's one of the biggest hurdles. Uh, you know, I would say also we sign leases that we don't take into consideration these issues, right? When we yeah. sign these problems, these these long-term leases, 10, 15-year leases. And that occupancy expense is a big problem. It really, as it starts to mature and those annual increases and everything that goes along with that, that becomes an issue. And of course, I, you know, I opened up a, one of my restaurants here in Phoenix in May after having been closed through most of the pandemic. And we did an assessment of what our costs were upon reopening compared to when we initially closed. Our costs at the restaurant side, our costs were up 46% at the wow. time. Wow. Wow. 46%. You know better than I do how many people <laughs> complain about the cost of going to a restaurant. Yeah. You know, nobody opens a business to lose money. Number one. Yep. And I think number two, you know, we're not in the business of making customers angry and upset. And we want to make people happy. The challenge of making people happy with the, the lack of labor or um, an untrained staff is, is a big issue. The occupancy ex- costs, which are unseen costs inside restaurants, people never realize how costly it is just to open your doors and turn on the lights. And then the added expense of increase in food cost and supply chain issues. I mean, you know, I should have been a plumber. (laughs) (laughs) A lot more per hour. That's a fact. Although it's a little, I was going to say it's a little dirtier job, but not always. It depends on what you're cooking, right? Depends on what you're cooking. It's a good point. Hey, uh, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back after this moment. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. C-Suite Radio. Hey, folks, we are back, and we're talking with Scott Conant. And he is, of course, on TV, a successful restaurateur, a business owner, James Beard, award-winning chef and writer. And he's got a fourth cookbook out. Make sure you rush out and get that. Peace, love, and pasta. Simple, elegant recipes from a chef's home kitchen. And we're talking about all things business around the restaurant. And I want to get into talking a little bit about content, because I think that's important for us to take a look at, because we use content in every business. And you talk about content in terms of what you're doing, your your latest cookbook, Peace, Love, and Pasta, is your fourth book. Yeah. And you said, I, thought I saw from one of the pre-interviews, your most personal yet. How is it more than recipes? 
Well, it's a lot of things that I cook at home for my family and for my daughters in particular. Mm. Uh, My wife is Turkish and um, we got married in Turkey. We have a home in Bodrum and it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. If you've ever been there, those waters are spectacular. And what I tried to do is really grab some of those recipes that we cook from home and give it that sense of place, right? I mean, I feel like in the perfect situation when you taste something and it brings you back to the first time you've had similar flavors like that, right? If you've ever seen the movie Ratatouille, that Ratatouille oh, yeah. where it kind of transcends you back to childhood or some of your best memories. And that's what I've tried to do with that book. Take some of those great memories from various places that I've cooked in my life, from growing up in New England, uh, my first job at a seafood restaurant, some of the foods that my mother and my grandparents and, and, my, and my aunts would cook on the Italian side of my family. Some of my travels that I've had throughout the years and kind of personalized a lot of those flavor profiles into that kind of scope of all things Italian. And then food from Turkey that my that my wife and her family has helped me to cook over the years. Yeah. And by the way, food of all kinds and the smells of food always brings us back to that memory, whether it's, you know, I love the smell of bacon. Of course, I love bacon for anything to yeah. make a difference. But, you know, that <laughs> smell of bacon reminds me of my and and coffee, the smell of coffee. Yeah. It reminds me of getting up early in the morning and my mother was making that yeah. for my dad, at, you know, way back when. Same. Did that. And those are cool things to be able to yeah. have. I've written four books, just working on my fifth one right now that's coming out. And my co author for my last four books is a guy by the name of Jim Eber. He's been my ghost on that. He's really my co author all the way around. And he wrote cookbooks before working with me. I'm kind of curious what does it take to write a cookbook? Is it a process that's different? It's, uh, well, I've never written another book, so I couldn't tell you. I couldn't, <laughs> I'm not that interesting. It needs to be about food. And what I do, my process is, you know, what are the type of things that I want to see people cooking at home or the things from my own kind of catalog of recipes that I think are the, the best things for people to experience in their house. And that's, that's my point of view. And that process of creating chapters and, and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure it's very similar. The yeah. recipes are your characters, essentially, I guess. Well, and they're your stories, right? And, you know, we're, right. we're all storytellers in some way. You, you cook a meal. Yeah. And through that beautiful meal, you're telling the story. Yeah. And then, you know, and in, in the content that you create around that and the way you tell it on, on, on Iron Chef and other shows, that's a way for you to be able to get that content out. Do you ever have a fight with your editor and saying they wanted to cut out a recipe or two and you say, no, that one's got to stay in? Was there any of that kind of discussion? I haven't had any of those issues, fortunately. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's just important, whatever you do, anything in the creative space, I think it's important to choose your battles. So, it's, yeah. <laughs> as you know. <laughs> yeah, which is absolutely true. So let me ask you, you're a chef, but you're also a business person, right? Which which are you first or which one dominates the most? You know, it's funny. It's a great question because I think throughout my life, there's been an evolution. I started as a young cook and, I, and I've been doing this for 36 years now. But I have to think more of as a business person these days. And I feel like that's something that we see across the board with restaurants and hotels, because we need to make better decisions for the, you know, the quote unquote flight that we're traveling on, you know, as we had discussed with where where restaurants are these days. So, you know, you need, you need to make decisions that are good decisions based on where we are in the marketplace. Um, And that's why you're starting to see a lot more comfort food on menus as opposed to, you know, that fancy old cuisine that that so many chefs like to be, you know, fussy with. Myself what's your favorite what's your favorite cuisine? It's hard to say. I I love big flavors. 
I will say this. I went to Japan one. I went to Tokyo a couple of years ago. And I specifically ate in Italian restaurants in Tokyo yeah. where Japanese chefs that had worked in Italy for 10, 15, 20 years come back to, to Tokyo and then open up an Italian restaurant. And I, I know this may sound controversial. It was the best Italian food that I've ever had in my life. I got to tell you, I've eaten, I've yeah. spent many, many years in Japan and, and yeah. where I would go to eat. There was always a, a couple of times I would go to a couple like chains. I would go to Tony Roma's. And Rapungi, yeah. and I would also there was a, and there was a Planet Hollywood. That was the only two yeah. places. Oh, Johnny Rockets. They had a Johnny Rockets. Johnny Rockets. But, uh, but I would go eat the Italian food because it was amazing to eat. Now yeah. you, you order a pizza from like Domino's in Tokyo, you're liable to get corn on it, which is not pizza. Let's just be clear, but it, it is different. You know, it's like, what the hell is corn doing on my pizza? That was one of my big questions. Right. That's so funny. But uh, I think that's a unique thing. Do you, I mean, do you, who are the kind of chefs that you look up to? Oh, I, you know, it's funny. The other last month I was in, um, I was in New York City and, and there's a big event that we attend every year for just, you know, a bunch of friends and a lot of chefs show up to it. And Eric Repair was there and I was from the Bernadette in New York City. You know, we were just talking and catching up because I hadn't seen him in a while, obviously. And I said to him, you know, look at your career. Look what you've managed to do. He took over Le Bernadette in either 94 or 96. And he is still as relevant, if not more relevant today than he was in 1996. Now think about that. Think about how do you stay on top of your game for 25 years, right? It's incredible. Eric is one of those guys. Chef Daniel Ballou is, is another one. Jean-Georges Van Grichten, those are the super high-end fancy chefs. Big, big, big names, big from, names. From a, from a marketing perspective and a business perspective, that they can stay on top of their game in the luxury, you know, in that luxury zone. Thomas Keller is another great one. It's really impressive. And, and those, are the, those are the guys that I look at. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing to stay at the top of the game in what is one of the most competitive industries, expensive industries. And reinvent. And by the way, you just named a couple of chefs and restaurants where it is almost impossible to get in for you know in a, on the short term. Maybe yeah. a little easier yeah. these days, but I, even then, I doubt it. I, I'm you know I've been able to go to a lot of those those places during this pandemic. As I look at this thing, Scott, many of us know you as a TV chef and a judge on several cooking shows like Chopped on the Food Network. Great show, good stuff, good work. How did you get started with your TV career? It's funny because I never wanted to do TV. I was one of those chefs that wanted to stay in a kitchen and run restaurants and all that kind of stuff. But the writing was on the wall and that evolution of the way things started going in the restaurant world where you need eyes on you and there's no better platform, um, marketing platform than television. And that's the way I had thought about it. At the time, I had a a company that I had several restaurants around uh, the country, coast to coast and in Canada. and And I thought it was a great opportunity to be able to, you know, be on television, have people seeing me. And then hopefully the intention was that they would be interested or curious and then come into one of the restaurants. And then the restaurant experience itself would have them coming back. Did that work? It did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's again, you know, we teach people all the time in the C-suite network, how to use your content, how to be the brand of you, you know, whether you're, whether you're a restaurateur, whether you're a dry cleaner, you got to be the Mr. Spots of your local community, but it's about selling content and continuing selling content, making content, not so much selling yeah. it, but telling the story. And if you tell the story, people want to go and experience, yeah. which is really cool. I agree with that. I, you know, tell it in an authentic way. Tell it that, that it's so, you know, your, your 
what's personal to you on a business side, if you really convey it articulately to people, I feel like that'll resonate with them and they'll become curious. And, and hopefully, you know, again, marketing, all that kind of stuff, advertising isn't going to make your business, but it's a piece of the business. I always say a spoke in the wheel to making your business as successful. The product itself that you're selling needs to convince people. Whatever it takes to get them in the door, as long as the product brings them back repeatedly. Amen. Well, let's take a quick break. Speaking of product, I got to go sell a little bit of product. Let me do that and come right back after this message. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. C-Suite Radio. Hey, everybody, we're back. This is Jeffrey Azit. You're on All Business with Jeffrey Azit right here on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network and C-Suite TV. And we're talking with that famous restaurateur and chef, Scott Conant. He's got a brand new book out called Peace, Love, and Pasta, Simple and Elegant Recipes from a Chef's Home Kitchen. And of course, you can catch him on the Food Network and you know just about everywhere else that they're talking about food. The chefs, I want to talk about some good, maybe some bad, and maybe some ugly here, okay? Because those chefs on CHOP get some really weird things in their basket. What's the worst tasting dish you've had on the show? You know, I hate to say it, and I hate to admit it, but there's been quite a few. <laughs> we don't have time to list them all. A couple things jump out. You know, there's always ingredients which are, are just hard to integrate in a dish overall. Yeah. Durian is one of them. Haggis is another one. We've had we've had them all. I mean, you name it. We had a cricket milkshake a few weeks ago when I was oh. when I was doing it, which was uh, just about as delicious as it sounds. I, I've all. had cricket chocolate, chocolate. I've had cricket flour yeah. because someone's making flour out of crickets these days. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's I don't get it. It's so you know it's different. They say it's the protein of the future. I've heard this for you know ten years or so now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, the only know, people I, that say I, I that wait. the only people that say that are the cricket farmers. Okay. And there's only three of them. Okay. Let's just be clear. <laughs> Good point. Anyway, what's the, yeah. what's the worst ingredient that someone had that you thought was like, this is the nastiest thing, but it's good. Or were there none? <laughs> no, that's, I, I mean, it's really hard to integrate. We had something the other day. It was a Neapolitan classic uh, street yeah. food. Um, and it's, 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 it translates to uh, snout and feet. So it's the, oh, you know, literally snout, yeah. snout to feet and tail for, it was just chopped up bits of pigs. Oh, and that's uh, called a hot dog, isn't it? That's called a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Without the seasoning. So it was just, you know, kind of big chunks of this stuff. And it was really hard for them to integrate into this, into these dishes. You know, the way they cooked it, it just became super chewy, like a, like a oh. pig bubble gum, if you will. So, yeah. I always say, let, let me have tasted that so you don't have to. How about that? So. Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> we, well, we talked about that's a, fail, a little bit of a failure. We talked about some of the big success you've had. What's the worst success or failure that you've had in your career? That you're just like, man, I don't want to ever do that again. Years ago, I signed a contract with a group and I called in a bunch of favors with friends of mine who are lawyers. And that contract should have cost me about $35,000, $40,000 to write. And I was really young in my career and I didn't have that kind of money to spend. So I called in these favors. It cost me $5,000. Ultimately, 
that contract came back to haunt me. It was such a bad contract. It ended mm. up costing me about $10 million and oh. lost sales and revenue and misallocation to these things. And it was just a disaster. So this has happened to so many chefs. Uh, I can't even tell you. Intellectual property is super important. Big if you time. have an idea, spend that money on a really good IP attorney to get that intellectual property. Your name, if you can do it, any restaurant names as well, you know, get that stuff procured so that you don't have, have those issues in the future. Hey, I own all my IP on C-suite. We own tons of it. And, yeah. and then we've thought of everything that we could possibly own. We go get it more. <laughs> and I, you want to do that. And don't forget, I yeah. just want a little piece with that is, you know, get those mentors out there that have been through that before. And you could talk to them and say, hey, you mind if I ask you a question or two about this? That's a great way of doing it. I, I got, yes. Let me ask you a personal question, because behind you, you've got a picture of Abraham Lincoln. Yes. I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. Why? I like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> is like it this. just great artwork yeah. and your wife put and it up or is it just, no, 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 no. I put it up. These, these are, these are all my, these are all my things. I got Bob Dylan over here, yep. Willie Nelson over here, Abraham Lincoln, Ganesh. These are all things that are super important to me. Um, and Abraham Lincoln, his management style, I felt like yeah. was, was really incredible. Um, he was a, such a grounded individual and he made such incredible choices, whether you like them or not. I know a lot of people don't like Abraham Lincoln. I, I am a, I'm a big fan. Me too. I'm an opposite political party, but still a big fan of what he did and how he yeah. did it and how he stood for himself and how many times he was down and got back up. He lost so many elections and did, had so many failures. Yeah. And that's just the nature of business. That's the nature of life. I want to ask you one last question, personal question, because this is kind of a question you ask at cocktail parties with friends. If you had to have a last meal, right? I want as a chef, I want to know this. Is your yeah. last meal, I know what my last meal would be. What would your last meal be? If you could never have oh anything God. else again, what would that meal be? That is a tough question. And I've been asked it many times. And it wouldn't have to be one dish. I couldn't I couldn't narrow it down to one dish. I would definitely have a great fried chicken, right? Oh, I mean like a really yes. great fried yeah. chicken. Because Wait, calories calories don't matter anymore. It don't matter. My, yeah. It's the last my, my meal. Mother, <laughs> yeah, my mother used to make sausage and peppers when I was a kid, a very Italian-American dish. And, you know, on these beautiful Portuguese rolls that you get throughout New England. I know um, I've never what seen them outside. You know, awesome. you know what I'm talking yeah. about? I would have one of those as well. Maybe two. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what not? the heck? You're going to be full. What? If you're going to be full, you might as well go out full. That's the way it is. There you go. You're going to be dead anyway. I, not, I never wish that on you. But now I know what your last meal is. But I'm with you on the fried chicken, man. Oh, mine would be a T-bone steak. Actually, in honor of my father, I love a ribeye, ribeye, but I do a T-bone because that when I was a kid, when we had a T-bone steak, we would go to Ponderosa, we go to Sizzler. I know that. But that was like the epitome of wealth. And so I would do that for my dad. (laughs) That's great. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Good luck with the book. I can't wait to get it. I'm going to go out and get a copy. And then, you know, I'm going to have a meal with you by uh, cooking a recipe or two. I appreciate that. Thank you. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. This week, what I learned is you got to be a jack of all trades. You got to wear a couple different hats. Sometimes you got to be a restaurateur. Sometimes you got to be a business person. But somehow or another, you're going to have to pick one of those sides. But you can still have a reference to one or the other but you can't wear both hats at the same time. So that's what I was thinking about when Scott was talking about his transition into understanding the business from being a real chef, a love of food. And that's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Don't forget, hey, you pick your hat, wear it and get behind it and use that content to grow your business. 
Thanks so much for joining us on All Business with Jeffrey. Is it right here on C-Suite Radio? You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.